you know the the phrase measure twice cut once i trust that you uh, have gone through that maybe a bit i was trying to uh, install a a a, a a placemat or a mat covering for the cupboard underneath our sink and that that covered area was kind of dirty and grungy I just wanted to clean it up a bit with that it, you know a mat kind of helps uh, things from sliding around a bit down there too and our garbage is down there and other items for for uh, cleaning the sink and everything else so I thought I'd go ahead and get that and it's a roll thing that you roll out and then you can cut uh, enough that needs to fit down there. Well, I went ahead and measured the cupboard, uh, the width-wise, the in, in length and all that, and then I went over to the mat and I thought, okay, I know it's this long, and I made one cut there, and I brought it back over. I thought I'd check it out, and as I laid it down on the on the cupboard uh, there, it was about a quarter inch too short on each side, so about a half inch. I couldn't I couldn't understand. How did I get a half inch off? And so I was kicking myself about that, but it still fit. It was fine. At least uh, it's still usable. And so anyway, uh, I did not follow the advice that I've heard before where you measure twice and you cut once. It saves you from a lot of problems. I imagine as I'm looking over here at, the, uh, at our lift, um, those who put, all, put in the work to get that in there, I'm sure they measure twice a lot of times and only cut once. Um, and maybe John will tell you differently. I don't know. But anyway, he's so good. He just he just cuts it, cuts the sheet rock. He doesn't have to measure anything. We know the same kind of philosophy of measure twice, cut once should carry over into our verbal life as well. Ever say something that you wish you hadn't? <laughs> well, my mom would give me the advice. She would always say and she would warn me, place your brain in gear before engaging your mouth because there are times where she'd find me saying something that I didn't think about first. We need to think before we speak, especially in these days where we can be taken in the wrong context, uh, we can be misunderstood. I believe we need, to, we need to think twice before we speak once. Measure twice, cut once, it's the same philosophy. And I, I came across a list of uh, uh, ten, 10 things, actually nine things you should never say once without thinking twice. And then I added my own, a tenth one, for this list. We had to make 10 on this to make it nice. But here are 10 things you should never say once without thinking twice. It's no trouble at all. We have plenty of room. Call me anytime. Is there anything I can do? I'll try anything once. Of course, bring the kids. Why don't you stay for dinner? If worse comes to worse, you can use mine. Over my dead body, you will. And the final one I added on here, I'm sure you'll appreciate. I don't like peeps. Yeah. I should have thought twice before I said that. But you know, this wasn't David's case as he prayed the prayer we're about to read here in Psalm 17. He knew exactly what he wanted to say, and he said it well. No thinking twice for him. David was being honest before God from the depths of his despair. And that brings us to the main point. If you don't get anything else out of this at all, 
other than I don't like peeps or whatever else. I trust you'll get this main point. It's kind of cheesy. Uh, you'll snicker at it, I guess, but you know, it's going to stick with you. When we pray our prayer from the depths of our despair, be real with God and know he is there. Okay, stop laughing. Let me say this again. When we pray our prayer from the depths of our despair, be real with God and know he's there. That's the main point I hope you get out of this, this message today. So turn with me to Psalm 17. And let's learn from David as he prays a prayer from the depths of his despair. And uh, we'll go through that today of Psalm 17, all the verses. Now, I'm not going to read it to you all at once. We're going to take sections at a time, and we'll go through it like that. So uh, follow along with me. And let me share with you, in this Psalm 17, six requests of David from this psalm, uh, a psalm of prayer. And then uh, at the end of our time together, I want to share with you three encouraging thoughts about prayer. So... Uh, let me share some background for you first of this psalm. Now, the psalm is entitled, A Prayer of David. And of the 150 psalms, this is one of five that are specified as prayers. Of course, there's Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Psalm, psalm 86 is also a prayer of David. Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses. And Psalm 102 is a prayer of an afflicted. I, I don't know who that was, but anyway, it's an afflicted. You can read up, maybe you can help me know who that might have been, but Psalm 102. And then Psalm 142 is called a mascal of David when he was in the cave, but it also is noted as it's a prayer. So a prayer of David, pretty much. So Psalm 17, 86, 90, 102, 142, those are five of the Psalms that are called prayers. And it's uncertain when this Psalm was written in David's life, but uh, some seem to think that this prayer is a combination of the times when David uh, faced some of, the of his greatest enemies, and like Goliath and, and Saul, of course, and Absalom, his son. And there are others who seem to think that this was another time when David was being chased by Saul, as in 1 Samuel chapter 23 speaks about. And here, David was being pursued by King Saul in the wilderness, of uh, Maon. And in that story, David was on one side of the mountain and Saul was on the other side. And David had no idea what Saul was doing on the other side of the mountain, and he probably wasn't sure what God was up to either. But just as Saul and his men were about to close in on David, coming around, Saul got a message about a Philistine raid. And so Saul quit the chase. God had saved David once again. And so this Psalm 17 could be the prayer about that situation. But at any rate, David makes six requests of God in his prayer. So let's take a look at them. Six requests from David. The first request we see here is in the first two verses, and it's, See me. See me. Look with me in verses 1 and 2. Hear me, Lord. My plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Now, David was used to praying. Praying for him was like breathing, something he couldn't keep from doing. So it was not his distress and danger 
that brought him to pray. His current dangerous situation was only one part of his prayer, which included bold statements of his confidence in the Lord's faithfulness, in the Lord's strength, in his loving kindness, in his guidance, as well as his care. And this is a prayer of David where his life is in danger. And really, uh, when wasn't his life in danger? And his prayer, this prayer comes from, the, from, from his heart, deep from his heart. He says what he, he really is thinking. He's, he's not going to speak with what he calls deceitful lips. In other words, there will be no insincerity in what he is saying, which is, in, which is the first vital condition of, of real prayer, a good conscience being real with God. Now, we can't, can't hope to get anywhere with God if we come to him with a flippant attitude, simply putting on a show. He knows us too well. The Bible, tell, the Bible tells us, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now, if we come to God with unconfessed sin in our heart or with the deliberate intention of doing something contrary to his mind and will, we might as well just save our breath. We need to be real with God before him with our hearts. And the urgency of David's need is seen in the phrases, hear me, listen to my cry, hear my prayer. This prayer wasn't a silent one. It's a loud cry and, and a fervent prayer. And because he speaks with lips free of deceit, the, the right or just cause should be established. False accusations have been made against him by his enemies, and he's bringing his cause before the Lord for his decision because his truthfulness has been challenged. He saw God as a righteous judge who would give him a fair trial. And King Saul and his leaders believed and spread all kinds of lies about David. But the Lord and David knew the truth. David asked God to hear his plea, to examine his life, and to declare his integrity by giving him victory over the forces of Saul then everyone would know that God was with David, the man he has chosen to be Israel's king. God knew that David's prayer was sincere and that his life, though not sinless, was still blameless. And the word there for cry indicates a, a shrill, piercing cry that rips into the night like when an animal is attacked by a predator. It reminds me of the night that we were in our house a late evening, and outside we heard this scream, kind of like a, a scream of a young girl. We were a little concerned. We thought, what's going on? It's late. What's happening? What is this girl in trouble? And so we opened up our front door and got out on our porch and looked, and, and this screaming was going on. And we looked out and in the road, in the middle of the road, dark out there, in the middle of the road were three raccoons fighting each other. And actually, the two raccoons were beaten up on the one raccoon, and that raccoon was giving out the shrill cry, sounding like a little teenage girl. But anyway, that's the cry here that is indicated in this, in this psalm, that piercing cry that is here, heard here from, from David in his heart. And David's cry is only for justice from the one who knows his innocence. He is willing for the Lord to inspect his life and pass judgment because he believes he will be cleared and considered righteous by what the Lord finds out. His prayer is that God would clear him from the false charges 
made against him. And I imagine we're all in the same boat where we must uh, ask God for mercy rather than justice because we're, we're all sinners saved by grace. Justice would only condemn us. What, you know, what we need the most from God is mercy. And then David tells God to see me, see that my plea is just, see that my prayer is honest and sincere and true. See that I match up with what is right. We all know about David. We all know there were moments where he didn't make the best choices in his life or behave appropriately. But even if there has been unwise behavior, aren't you thankful that God judges the intentions and motives of the heart? <laughs> I'm sure glad. So David says, see me. Then the next request is found in verses 3 through 5, and he says, search me, search me. Verses 3 through 5 says, Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. Though people tried to bribe me, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent through what your lips have commanded. My steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. Now in these verses, David continues to declare his innocence and call on God to grant this, this petition by asking God, Search me. Let the search be extremely thorough. Visit me at night when I'm especially open to your scrutiny. You won't find anything wrong. So David is pretty sure about the outcome of this search. He tells God, My mouth has not transgressed any of your commands. And that word for transgress is, literally means to pass beyond, to pass beyond. This is probably the most common sin of the tongue, to say more than was meant, to say more than was wise, to say more than, than was necessary. Uh, sometimes more information isn't quite as good. Basically, we don't know when to shut up. David was accused of wanting to take Saul's life. But he is so far from doing such a, a horrible act that he won't even say a word against him. His words won't pass beyond what needs to be said. And the phrase ways of the violent is also translated in some versions of the Bible as paths of the destroyer. And the destroyer is none other, of course, than Satan. Because of his presence in the world, every child of God should be on alert. David was in, enemy, was in enemy territory, and he was aware of that when he was hiding from Saul. And we are in enemy territory. The earth is Satan's playground and a huge area of interest. And to the church in, in Pergamos, the Lord said in Revelation chapter 2, he said, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Basically, he was telling them, I know you're there in the area where Satan is at. I'm with you. And some of you might feel like Satan's throne isn't only in Pergamos, but uh, relocated specifically to Portland, Oregon, especially in these last couple of months. But be assured that God is still with us. And in that phrase, through what, uh, through what your lips have commanded, it tells us that the best antidote for sin 
and temptation is to frequently meditate on God's word and hide it in our heart. Uh, you know, the destroyer, the, the violent one, is thought by some to refer to Saul and his men who are at this very time seeking David with the intention of killing him. No matter what Saul and his men had said about him, David was able to affirm to the Lord that he had not spoken evil of the king, although temptation to do so was pretty strong. In fact, on at least two occasions, David could have killed Saul, but he refused to lay hands on God's chosen anointed leader. Saul would, would have killed David, but David obeyed the word of the Lord and kept himself from violence. Though he was a, a fugitive in the wilderness, David walked on the paths of the Lord and obeyed God's law. And David seem, seems to open himself up to the, the scrutiny and testing of God. He is in the temple, and through the night he waits before his God. He explores the heart. He prays and waits and listens to God to speak. God states, or excuse me, David states that my steps have held to your paths. And we might say, I've, I've stayed on the straight and narrow. And he has obeyed God's word, and that has kept him from doing, uh, going down the wrong path. Now, a phrase that my footsteps, footsteps may not slip indicates that he has been able to stay consistently on the right path. David's declaration of righteousness was not evidence of, of pride or hypocrisy, which could easily be mistaken as, but he, it was of faithfulness to the Lord in difficult situations. What was it that, that kept David from a, a slip that might cause him to fall off the right path? He was able to proceed and persevere in the ways of God through prayer, which brought a fresh supply of grace and strength to David from God daily. And this means whatever we might be going through, whatever you're dealing with, however hard life is for you, it... it it shouldn't provide us with the excuse for how we behave. <laughs> Those circumstances around us shouldn't change that. God's grace and strength is available to us daily. We should stay consistent with how we behave before one another. Search me, is what David says. And then he also requests of God, show me, verses 6 and 7, show me. He says, I call on you. My God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. You who save by your, your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Now David's constant, uh, constant policy for, for assistance and deliverance was to call upon God. David knew that God heard him and, and we can be sure that God hears and answers our prayers when we are in trouble. When the enemy had surrounded David, though he was a masterful military tactician, he knew that without the Lord's help, he couldn't escape. The words in verse 6 here could have been uttered also to by Jesus during that long night in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we as well should pray in the same way. That, that doing God's will might become an instinctive thing in our lives, even in the face of temptation and trial. There are times in life when the enemy's attack is so malicious 
and so persistent and so pressing upon us that nothing but the habit of, of differing, deferring to God's will keeps us from destruction. We should always default to that. Give in and, and follow God's will. It's His will that we should be doing. David recalls God's great love to him that in history and experience uh, the Lord has shown Himself to be a God who answers the prayer of the innocent and shows wonderful kindness in his, in his dealings and saves those who look to him for safety and protection. David has need of God's help because he is threatened by men who, ha, who would take his life. And if God could deliver his people from Egypt, he could deliver David from the hand of Saul, which David celebrates that victory in the next psalm, Psalm 18. But David asked for a demonstration of God's great love and the defeat of his enemies. Show me, he says. And then David requests of God, shield me, shield me. That's found in verses 8 through 12. It says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who are out to destroy me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. They close up their callous hearts and their mouths speak with arrogance. They have, a, they have tracked me down. They now surround me with eyes alert to throw me to the ground. They are like a lion hungry for prey, like a fierce lion crouching in cover. Now the request is restated in more moving terms here. As you see, it gives some descriptive stuff here as David uses the images of the eye and the wings to remind God that he was precious to him. The apple of the eye is actually the pupil of the eye. It's the most delicate part of the eye. He is thinking of how it is protected by the eyelash and, and the eyelid and the eyebrow, uh, the, the bony socket as well, and the quickly raised hand as we would protect our eyes. And just as we protect our eyes from injury, David wanted the Lord to protect him. David also wanted the Lord to protect him just as a bird protects her young under her wings. Now God has used a, a similar expression when he said to Israel, he said, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is a picture of, of where we are placed in the shadow of his wings. And then Jesus also too, he said this of Jerusalem. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So David asks for this double protection. And the reason that he needs such protection is because the unrighteous, those who don't obey the voice of God, are oppressing him and seeking to hurt him. His deadly enemies actually are surrounding him and want his death. So David was already already described his enemies. He's already described them as ungodly and violent, bloodthirsty men from whom there is no hope of escape. David's got it down. He, he understands the enemy, and he's trying to explain that to God. He now goes on to say that they can't be touched by any appeal for pity because they have closed up their callous hearts. In other words, 
Their hearts are numb to the per perception and feeling of pity because of repeated disobedience to the Lord. Hardened hearts. And those people were morally and spiritually insensitive to what was right and weren't upset when they did something wrong. Paul has a word for that. He calls the, this a, a seared conscience, as he describes that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. They speak arrogantly because they are confident of their, 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 their strength. Their mouths spew out the most frightening boasts of what uh, they're going to do to David. They track him down, surround them, and with eyes uh, that are alert, they intend to deliver the final knockout blow. And savage as a lion that is extremely hungry and sly as a, as, as a young lion lurking in the brush, they are ready to tear David to shreds. These creeps, <laughs> these creeps may have been internal enemies like Saul, or, or they may have been external enemies, but the need was the same. David seeks protection from them all. And he isn't really that concerned about God's protection because David is convinced that God will help him. But the question is this, when will the protection come about? And when will the accusations be proved false? And that's normally the case, right? When is this going to happen? We know that God is able, but when will it happen? And that's where trust in God comes in. As we place our trust in God, we can look to God with confidence when opposition presses in because He will be our, our, our eyelid to protect His precious eye. And He will take us under His wing to protect His young. A child of God is kept in the eye of God and has a place of protection under the shadow of His wings. Remember that. And so David says, shield me. And he also requests from God in verses 13 and 14, he says, save me, <laughs> save me. Verses 13 and 14, rise up, Lord, confront them, bring them down with your sword, rescue me from the wicked. By your hand, save me from such people, Lord, from those of this world whose reward is in this life. May what you have stored up for the wicked fill their bellies. May their children gorge themselves on it, and may there be leftovers for their little ones. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, David. Uh, what a request. Wipe them out, Lord. Save me from these people. Well, the phrase there that says, bring them down, can actually be translated as, make them crouch down like a lion that has been subdued. Which is very telling in light of verse 12, where we see the enemy crouched like a fierce lion ready to pounce. I'm reminded of our cat, Meshach. You remember her. She passed away a few years ago. But when she would, she was a house cat. And so she would get on the back of our couch that's kind of faced the, in our den, faced the back uh, glass window. Um, and it's a, a door there, glass door. And uh, she would look out that glass door and every now and then she would see a bird come land over there and, and uh, um, bounce around. And anyway, looking for, for food. Well, if Meshach saw that, that bird, she suddenly would just get down. Like, don't, oh, he's going to see me. I better get down. And her tail would start twitching, and she would start twitching, and she'd start gibberish type of meowing. I don't know what it was. 
But I would see that every now and then. And so she would, she would do that. I'd go on over. I'd know what was going on. She saw something out of the window. She was crouched down, ready to pounce. But of course, you can't do that through a glass window. That's going to hurt. And so I would just come over and I put my hand on her back and I would subdue her. She would kind of snap out and go, oh, okay, yeah, right. And so that would subdue her, my hand on, on, on her back and bringing her down. Well, you know, that's the same thing that's going on here in this psalm. That, that, that David is asking God to bring them down, subdue them from their pouncing. David knew that nothing could happen that was not God's will. Not my will, but yours be done, was the very prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane. He trusted God in his circumstance, even though that, God, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God included a cross and a tomb. Jesus was going. But that's the way to deal with circumstances beyond us. We need to trust God. Trust that he knows what he's saying. Trust that he knows what he's doing. We understand that, that God was storing up judgment for David's enemies, and their only reward would be in, in this life, not in the afterlife. Their treasures were, were not in heaven. They were all here on earth. And these people, these people were full. They, they had many children who lacked nothing. They would leave their wealth to their descendants. But the consequences of their sins would also be inherited by their descendants. You ever think about that? Not only the good stuff, but also the junk would come along. The baggage would come along and be inherited as well. Uh, the New Living Translation uh, uh, gives this about verse 14. It says, May they have their punishment in full. May their children inherit more of the same. And may the judgment continue to their children's children. Most people look on the things of this world as the best things, and they don't care to provide for another life. The most troubled Christian doesn't need to envy the most prosperous people of the world who have their treasures stored up where moth and rust will destroy. Uh, the Life Application Study Bible has a little blurb on this in verses 13 through 15. It has a comment, commentary on this. It says, We deceive ourselves when we measure our happiness or, or contentment with the amount of wealth and possessions that we have. When we put riches at the top of our value system, their power, their pleasure, and security overshadow the, inter, the eternal relationship that we have with God. We think we will be happy or content only when we get riches, but we discover that they don't really satisfy, and they only fade away. The true measurement is found in the love of God and doing His will. So David prays there, save me, save me. And then finally, in verse 15, David requests of God, satisfy me, satisfy me. As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face when I awake. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Now David ends his prayer by expressing his conviction that the Lord has heard him and by speaking of his glorious future to come, seeing God's face and sharing God's likeness. Now in contrast to his enemies, David sets his eyes on God's face and acknowledges that to see the face of God is way better than all that the, the unrighteous can have. When he, when he wakes, he will be satisfied if he only sees the form of God, 
as Moses had done before him. David's only desire is to live for God, to enjoy his presence, and to see his face. That's a pretty good list. I believe we are to discover God's hope, uh, discover David's hope here of, of living on, on forever in the presence of God. The point is that the unrighteous live on in their children and maintain their treasures by passing them on to them, while David lives on in beholding God continually, and his, his, his continuing treasure is found in God. He needs no children or children's children to be fulfilled because he will find his continual fulfillment in God. And God is his eternal treasure. Basically, David is saying, I don't envy their happiness because my happiness and satisfaction comes from another source. I don't desire earthly and, and temporal treasures as they do. My great desire is to, be, is to behold God's face to enjoy his presence and favor, which is enjoyed to some extent in this life, but to a much greater extent in the life that comes after death, when we shall see his face and be like him. To that, I would say amen, David. Amen. What a psalm. What a prayer. What a prayer to help those who are in trouble today, especially when we find we have enemies who are against us. Most of us who stand for God have enemies. Just like a dog has fleas, <laughs> they seem to be part of a Christian's life. But we can join with David and pray for God to see me, search me, show me, shield me, save me, and satisfy me. When you pray your prayer from the depth of your despair, be real with God and know that he is there. So are you in the depths of despair and feel like you aren't sure how to pray? During these days of COVID-19 quarantine, protests, riots, racial injustice, and social unrest and social uncertainty, we can find ourselves at a loss for words. Just remember, just remember how David poured his heart out to God with what was weighing on his mind. And, uh, and allow me also to, to leave you with three encouraging thoughts to help you along the way. First of all, remember, God hears you. God hears you. David says in verse 6 that he calls on the Lord because he will answer him. Sometimes we don't get the, get the answer we expect. <laughs> Sometimes we don't. But we can trust that God knows what is best for us and will guide us through every experience and every season. Just know that God hears you. And then also realize that God is for you. God is for you. God is not for sin. He is not for disobedience. He is not for unrighteousness. And because of Jesus, we are not tied to our sin. Our sin has been paid for at the cross. As we, we receive that free gift of eternal life there, and God now sees us as righteous people. This means he is for you. Whatever is best for you, that's what God desires. As you pray, you can know that the one who holds the stars in their place 
wants the best for you. So remember that God is for you. And then finally, remember that God is all you need. God is all you need. So surrender your prayers to him. In verse 15, David says, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. (laughs) What an interesting finish. David knows that ultimately all he needs is God. So as he comes to God in prayer, he can surrender the outcome of his prayers to God, all the while continuing to fix his focus on that same God. We too, as followers of Jesus, can surrender the outcome of our prayers to God, while we continue to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. He is all you need. So are you feeling overwhelmed by the events of our time? (laughs) Not sure maybe how to pray? Remember that God hears you, He is for you, and He is all you need. When you pray your prayer from the depth of your despair, be real with God and know that He is there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to be reminded of who you are and how much you love us. And Lord, thank you for the example set out before us here in Psalm 17, a beautiful prayer that helps us realize that you are there for us and uh, you will protect us. You will hide us under your wing. You You will keep us as the apple of your eye. And Lord, any enemies that come our way, any situations that happen in our lives, we can trust you for the outcome. And Lord, I pray that we would do just that. We would be reminded that you are all we need, and so we can trust the outcome of our prayers to you. Help us, Lord, to realize that, whatever we're going through. And I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, throughout this week, uh, encourage us to continue to walk uh, right alongside Uh, allowing you to lead and to to encourage us uh, that you love us dearly. Lord, we love you as well. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts today. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to guide and direct throughout this week. We love you, Lord, so so, so very much. In your name we pray. Amen.